good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. Hello, Gogs. Hello. So, you know, the conversation around human rights, I think very seldom do we think of human rights and think of children. Like we understand that us as adults, we have rights, but I don't think very many of us can think of human rights and we think of children. But children also enjoy the rights we have. In fact, even more perhaps because they are a vulnerable group. Absolutely. And I think today I wanted to focus on the rights to be protected, the rights to have privacy, the right to privacy, and that your body has rights, most particularly, mm-hmm. because children actually are very concrete learners. So human rights will start first with something very physical, very concrete, if you want them to understand what rights are. So let's start with the body. And their body, um, you know, they have rights from the time they are born in terms of the physical safety of their body. And as you said, many parents never have this conversation with their children. And in fact, I was, um, you know, I was watching Carte Blanche last Sunday. I'm not sure if you watched it. And there was an expose on sexuality and the conversations around sexuality and children and the fact that those conversations sometimes start at school before they start in the home. Mm -hmm. And I have a fundamental uh, problem with that because I think that the, you know, conversation around sexuality and the rights that your body has start from the age of around two or three. And by eight, most psychologists say it's too late. And there was a mum who was interviewed um, on carte blanche who had a nine-year-old and she was extremely upset because on the back of the maths textbook, there is now a, 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 a whole thing around rape and what to do if you're raped. So this is a nine-year-old, back of the textbook, a whole conversation about rape, and she said, but, you know, surely that's too young, and surely children don't understand this, it's going to scare them. And my answer was, if you haven't had the conversation with your child yet about what consensual sex is by the time they're eight, and what sex in a loving relationship looks like, and the fact that their body has rights, then you are in trouble because children talk in the playground. They're exposed to television, social media, and to other children who maybe know more than they do. And you really want to be having conversations about privacy and safety with your children to provide context long before they have those conversations with other people. Mm. I think for many parents, the fear, from what I understand, I'm not a parent myself, is that how do you have the conversation in an age-appropriate manner? Because I I do agree with you that there are many things, unfortunately, especially in a country like South Africa, where crime is an unfortunate reality, in particular the abuse of children, sexual violence is rampant, um, particularly of young girls. But I think there's the concern for some people about how do you have a conversation with, say, a nine-year-old um, in an age-appropriate manner um, and not, for instance, you know, have a conversation that's inappropriate for their age. <laughs> and I think for many of us, it also has to do with our parents didn't have those conversations. Um, I learned about, uh, you know, sexual education. I learned at school, and I think it was towards the end of my primary school 
career. Of course, before then, I'd been exposed to sex on TV or there was always a kid who brought something to school. But sexual education was a thing that happened at school, not at home. Mm. And I think there is also that fear about how do I have a conversation that was never had with me. Yes, so you're quite right. You would have had that conversation at, in around grade six or seven. And SAMHSA probably would have come to school and given you the birds and the bees talk, and it would have been very anatomical. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't have had any emotion attached to it. And the, what you can do when you're in, you know, in a family situation is you've got to talk about the feelings that come with your body and your emotions. And it's important. This is the context that you're giving your children. And so let's start with the real basics. And uh, by the way, I've written a book called Easy Answers to Awkward Questions, which has been a bestseller for many, many years. And in fact, the first chapter is your body has rights too. Mm. And the basics that kids need to know are this, that you are special. Your body is special. Your body belongs to you. Private parts are private. And so this is a good segue into that conversation, and we'll come back to that. You can touch yourself. You can say no to others. You must stand up for your rights and who to call for help. So the easiest way to get into this conversation about the privacy of your body is to talk about the fact that, and in fact, I had this conversation just last week with grade sixes and sevens at a school in Durban. I was talking about digital safety. And I was asking them, how have your parents taught you to look after yourself in the real world? And one of the things that comes up is your private parts are private. That Mm -hmm. means any part of your body that is underneath your underwear or underneath your swimming costume is private. In Mm -hmm. other words, for your eyes only. And if anybody violates that rule, you need to tell somebody. Now, of course, there are exceptions to the rule. So we talk about um, the fact that, you know, when you're little, you, you can't look after yourself. So your parents help you. They wash you when you're little. They change your nappy when you're little. They help you get dressed when you're little. But as you get older, you take responsibility for that. And, um, and, and that means that, you know, you wash yourself in the bath and you dress yourself and the only other times when you might need help with that might be if you break your arm and then your parents might have to bath you and dress you or maybe you need to see a doctor um, and the doctor may have to look at your private parts maybe if you're ill or if you have an infection and then you have to you you can decide if you want your mum and dad to be in the room when the doctor's doing the examination or not so these are the kinds of conversations that you need to have with your children. And, um, and it's important that they know that they can talk to you about these things. And then you get into conversations with children about the fact that girl private parts and boy private parts are different. And you know, kids are actually intensely interested in these things. They're curious. Children are curious learners. So we also need to in a way, socialize our children about this. And that's where friends are important. You know, friends have got children of different sexes and, uh, you know, you, they, they come and have um, a play date and they land up having a bath and supper with you, etc. And you land up the kids having a bath together and 
parents and children seeing each other's private parts. You know, this is also a bone of contention um, in in uh, parenting circles. Is when when is it okay to stop bathing with your children? In fact, it has become such a taboo subject that a lot of parents who come to my talks talk about the fact that. They never bath with their children. They have never bathed with their children. And there's a big gap in children's learning then if they've never seen adult bodies versus children's bodies um, naked. And so, you know, there's a lot of teaching that can go on just by osmosis if we're okay with our own bodies and our own nudity. And I think the other challenge for, again, for a lot of parents in having these conversations is if, for instance, if a family subscribes to particular, uh, a particular religion and perhaps there are, for instance, rules about um, sex and marriage or parents and, and that also then could be, you know, if, if you're wanting to have an open conversation, there is the concern from some parents that it will, for instance, go against you know, their religion, it will go against their um, personal beliefs. It's why for a while now there has been this push from some parents um, to do away with comprehensive sexual education, not just in South Africa. We're seeing it, for instance, in the U.S., um, where, you know, experts are saying we, we have to give children the tools to navigate this world, both in real life and online. But parents are also saying, but you know, our religion says this isn't appropriate. And so how do you then balance that where there is a system of beliefs um, which says or that guides, you know, certain rules? And that may mean, for instance, a parent, like you were just saying, a parent won't bath with their child. A parent will never allow their child to see them naked, for instance. Um, A parent won't allow comprehensive sexual education because of, you know, the belief system. Mm. So I think I have one line here, and that is that safety trumps everything. And you mentioned earlier on that we live in an unpredictable country. We live in a volatile country. And the reality in our country is that the rape statistics are incredibly, incredibly high. And so we have to give children blueprints. We have to give them scenario plans for what if moments. We do not live in an ideal world. And if you live in America... Um, you would have school shooting drills. And everywhere in the world, children have fire drills at school. So, yes, unfortunately, we have to talk to children about topics and subjects that we would rather not. But it is important that we have these conversations so that should a what-if moment arise in their brain, somewhere they have a blueprint for this, and they go, "Uh uh-uh, there is something that's not right here. And if we haven't had those conversations, they will be taken by surprise. And I think the awful thing about abuse, um, sexual abuse, any kind of abuse, but particularly sexual abuse around the body, is that it often takes place by somebody, it's perpetrated by somebody in authority. So if you you think about very religious cultures, you know, there's a very... um, very defined sense of who is in authority and you don't question authority. So what we often say to children is if somebody is touching your body inappropriately in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable, it doesn't feel good. And particularly if they tell you, don't tell your parents, 
you've got to know something is not right. And that is when you really have to tell your parents. I mean, in those situations, children get threatened. If you tell your parents, we'll kill your parents. If you tell your parents, we'll do something. We'll kidnap your brother. We'll kidnap your sister, whatever. Mm. And children need to be on red alert that when they're being told things like that, that's when they really need to tell. And the chances of the perpetrator carrying out what they just said is, is very low. And to protect themselves, they need to find a way to tell somebody in authority. So we tell kids, tell your teacher, tell your parent, tell your priest, tell your rabbi, tell, tell someone in authority. But we also need to be really aware that sometimes it's those very people who could be the perpetrators. Mm. This is why we have to help children to navigate this very ambiguous world. You know, life is not straightforward. And it is, it, you know, we don't want to scare our children, but by the same token, we have to also be real with our children. And there's a very fine line, which is why we talk about having age-appropriate conversations. So your private parts are private. Is a conversation you start from the age of three. Um, you know, so when they're putting their swimming costumes on, when they're putting their underwear on, you need to say, you know, everything that's covered by your your, your panties or your, or your underpants is private. That's what it means mm. because it's private. Um, so it starts very age appropriately and very gently. Um, by the time they're around eight, you should be able to have the conversation around if somebody touches you there and it's not me and you're not sick and injured. Um, and it's for no other reason, you need to know this is not okay. And, and, and it isn't okay. And you need to tell me, whether it's your friend who's, who's touching you, whether it's a, another parent who's touching you, whether it is a teacher who's touching you, or what if, let's reverse the roles, Googs, if you are asked to touch somebody else's private parts, mm -hmm. that's also not okay. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, the other difficulty here is in teaching kids about their physical autonomy, their right to privacy, there's always this tension between, especially I think the younger children are, um, is on one hand, I think it's fantastic that kids should be able to be given space and have things that are there so their body belongs to them they have a space where available obviously it's not possible for many parents to give ch their children space especially in a country like ours but that they have space and privacy on autonomy but also there is because of how complicated and difficult and violent our society is for many parents there is this anxiety around well if i don't if i don't know what's happening with my child or if they've privacy or autonomy then I can't protect them and so there is for instance there's always the debate around you know parents snooping parents going through uh, children's personal stuff be it a diary or a phone or a, a tablet or a, a, whatever it is and you know the argument will be I have to know what's happening because there are all of these threats and some of them as you were saying sometimes very often the threat is quite close it's from someone you trust and so you know even when we speak about you know rights how do you balance you know cultivating that children 
do have a right to privacy and autonomy, but also at the same time as their caregiver, as their guardian, you do also want to ensure that you don't leave them in a precarious or a dangerous situation that you should actually know about and intervene, especially if, for instance, there's abuse. Mm-hmm. Look, there's a fine line between spying and concern when it comes to things like diaries and social media, etc. I mean, on social media now, you can get hold of, and if parents are interested in this, pop onto NikkiBush.com, go and look under parental controls, and uh, you can get hold of something called Bark, and Bark is something that you can um, implement across all your children's devices, which will enable you to be alerted should there be anything going on that is untoward. So um, if, if sexual words are being used, if they're being asked for nudes, naked selfies, if um, there's some kind of grooming taking place, that kind of um, uh, parental control software will, will pick things up and alert you to unusual behavior either on your child's part or if somebody's approaching your child. So there are those sorts of things that you can use and it's not the kind of thing that you can suddenly slap on a child's phone when they're 16. This would be the equivalent of fairy wheels on a two-wheeler bicycle that you would put on your children's devices in primary school when they're learning how to navigate the information superhighway, the internet superhighway safely because it's a little bit like giving yourself a second pair of sensors. And um, so that's not a bad thing, but it does not replace your relationship with your child and the need to communicate on a very regular basis with your child. We need to know our children well. We need to be able to almost read between the lines in terms of how they are showing up, their behavior, what they're saying, what they're not saying. You know, I say there are three there are three things or three questions that children ask of us every single day. And it's nonverbal and it's subconscious. Do you see me? Do you see the whole of me, my body, but not just my body, all of my potential? Mm-hmm. And that might be my body language. So if a child has been happy and carefree and suddenly they withdraw and their body language changes and their shoulders droop and you see that for a while, then it's, do you hear me? And it's not just the words I'm saying, but the words I cannot say or maybe the feelings that I'm having that I can't express. And then the last thing is, am I important to you? Where do I fall on your, on your busyness index, on your importance index, on your to-do list, so to speak? And so this, this leads me just to, to say, how alert are you around your children? How well do you know them? How alert are you to their body language and to how they show up verbally in the world? Because that can give you really good clues when things aren't going well. And that's when you need to start asking some different questions and being more alert around what may or may not be happening in your child's life. So just make sure that you don't replace yourself with an app. You need to show up in your children's lives in order to help them to protect their privacy, to protect their body, to stand up for their rights. Nikki, thank you very much. That's where we need to leave it for this week. Always a pleasure chatting to you. 
Thank you so much, Googs. And parents can pop onto Facebook to my Parenting Matters group where I have put some extra information about this topic for today. That's uh, a parenting and human potential expert, Nikki Bush, talking about the importance of speaking to your children about their human rights.